Walter Sports Bar is again this college football season the D.C. hangout for Florida State fans. Make your plans now for Sunday night of Labor Day weekend as FSU takes on LSU. Will Dylan Cruz be there to cheer on his Tigers? Unlikely. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Smith, the batter, as he tries to deliver here against his former teammate for the Mets. And a swing and a line drive into left center field, a base hit. Manessis has scored. Rounding third, Ruiz. He will score. The throw is going into second base. And the Nationals do not let up. Five hits in a row to start here in the bottom of the first inning. It's Washington four and Philadelphia nothing. One ball, two strikes. Two out, top of the ninth. Four, three nats pitting into the belt. The kick in, here it comes, swing and a miss, a diving splitter. He struck him out, and a Curly W's in the books here at the Little League Classic in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. And welcome to Nats Chat for Monday, August 21st, 2023, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Muncie Bank Ballpark at Historic Bowman Field in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, site of the 2023 MLB Little League Classic. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Sunday night ended up being quite the night for the Nats. We, on Sunday evening, had multiple reports, including a report from Mark, that the Nats are promoting their top prospect, outfielder Dylan Cruz, from low-A Fredericksburg to double-A Harrisburg. And yet another sign that... (laughs) This guy will be playing in the majors for the Nats next season. And then we later on Sunday night had a very unique Nats win, a 4-3 win over the National League wildcard leading Philadelphia Phillies to win two of the three games in the series. This was a unique game in that it took place at a neutral site. This was a unique game in that the Nats scored all of their runs in the bottom of the first and the Phillies scored all of their runs in the top of the ninth as yes, uh, the Nats bullpen for a second consecutive game was an issue, but Trevor Williams was not an issue. He pitched well. The Nats now are 57 and 68. The Nats now are 19 and 10 over their last 29 games. The Nats are just eight games behind the Chicago Cubs for the National League's third and final wild card spot. In fact, get this, the Nats are closer to a playoff spot than their next opponent, the reeling New York Yankees are. Think about that. But Mark, Williamsport, Pennsylvania, did you get on the cardboard and slide down the hill during the day on Sunday? I did not, Al. I watched several people 
do that, including a member of the media who uh, did not make it down so cleanly and was dealing with dirty pants for the rest of the day. And that's why I did not make the attempt. This was a really cool day, start to finish. Everybody who was here and participated in it felt the same way. This was a once in a lifetime experience. Davey Martinez afterwards, he started off his post-game press conference saying, I want to come back. <laughs> I think a lot of them felt that way because it was such a unique experience and a great experience. It's hard to describe without having been here, but I think the result of the game at the end of that topped it all off. This was a good day for the Nationals organization. This was a great day for the Nationals organization. There have not been a lot of these in the last three and a half years. This was right up there with any of them, both because of the experience they got to partake in everything, but on top of that, they got to show a broader audience what I think we've all been picking up on here for the last month. This is a good team right now. They're playing good baseball, and there's even more reasons to be excited about what's coming next. Yeah, it's funny how these things work out. On a day on which the Nats are on national television, we get this breaking Dylan Cruz news, and it was like another good thing for the national telecast to talk about, even though the national broadcast wasn't always fixated on the Nationals, but that's a different conversation. Yeah, the field was really cool to watch on TV. The acoustics are really cool on television. You know, the game sounds different because it's in a stadium like that. With his 19th double of the season. And the Nationals are on the board first here in the bottom of the first inning with nobody out. The other thing that I love about this park is that it is Muncie Bank Ballpark at Historic Bowman Field. When I say that word historic, I'm not throwing that in there as like, you know, paying homage to this venue. No, the actual name is Historic Bowman Field, which I feel like is kind of a cocky thing to do, right? To call yourself historic. But I guess when you have the history that this field has, you can in fact have that word historic in your official name. Yeah, look, it's been standing for like a century and a lot of stuff has happened here. And yes, it has the corporate name now on top of it, but they wanted to make sure they kept the original name of it. And yeah, I mean, it's uh, rustic is maybe the word I'll use for it. They've done a lot to build it up from what it used to be for the purpose of, of holding this game. I mean, what's amazing is they don't actually have a full season minor league team here anymore. The old Williamsport Crosscutters that were a single A affiliate are now one of the collegiate draft league teams in the summer that only plays for a few months. So it's it's really not used on a daily basis anymore, but MLB put a lot into it to make it work for a major league game. And it was a very different environment, 2,400 fans, all of them were either little leaguers, their families, or other, I think, locals and volunteers, people who work with Little League Baseball. So you did not have rabid fans of either team. There were some people in Phillies gear cheering for the Phillies. My hunch is that there were locals from Williamsport that happened to be Phillies fans because I don't think anybody from Philadelphia had the opportunity to come here and very few, if any, Nationals fans here because these were just not tickets that were on sale to the general public. So it made for a very different environment, but a cool one. And you could hear everything. You could see everything. The kids were right on top of the action. It was a once in a lifetime experience. And I think everybody appreciated it. So in terms of what actually happened in the game, like I said, the Nats scored all of their runs in the bottom of the first, a four run bottom of the first for the Nats. And that basically was the Nats offense for the game. We have talked about this so many times this season, the frequency with which the Nats do so well in the first innings of games. This was another instance of that. But unfortunately, the Nats did not do much offensively. 
the rest of the game. So the Nats for the game totaled four runs and nine hits, all four of the runs and five of the nine hits came in that bottom of the first inning. The Nats, each of their first five batters got a hit in facing the Philly starting pitcher, Zach Wheeler. The two run scoring hits ended up being Kbert Ruiz with a two run double to right field for a two nothing Nats lead. And Dominic Smith with a first pitch opposite field, two run single to left center field for a four nothing Nats lead. Now it's a funny deal because Zach Wheeler gives up these four runs in the bottom of the first ends up lasting for seven innings in the game. Like, how often does anything like that happen where the starting pitcher gives up four runs in a first inning but ends up lasting for seven innings? And the Nats don't do much the rest of the game. This actually came up on the ESPN broadcast. Was Wheeler tipping his pitches? Because the Nats were so on him in that bottom of the first, and then the rest of the game was a much different story. What did you make of how well the Nats did against Wheeler in that first inning and then how little the Nats did offensively the rest of the game? I didn't get the sense from anyone that there was a question of tipping, but you know, certainly you wonder something like that when it's so dramatic at the beginning of the game and then so dramatically in the opposite direction after that. The way Rob Thompson, Philly's manager, was talking about it, they were just very aggressive, looking for fastballs early in the count. They went right after him and did that. And then he started to change it up a little bit after that. The other thing, and I had somebody who was sitting near me who works for the Nationals had pointed this out, a guy who's been to a lot of minor league stadiums. The game starts, there's still some sunlight. And then after about the first inning, the sun goes down. They have that twilight. The lights in this stadium are not major league quality. They brought in some more to make it a little brighter, but it's not really what you're used to. And certainly for a good number of innings there in the dusk, the feeling that this guy was saying was that Guys don't see the ball as well. And you saw both teams really struggle offensively. And then at the end of the night, the Phillies came back to life once it was pitch black. Now, I don't know if that had anything to do with it or not. But whatever the case, I mean, the Nats were very aggressive early on, went right after him to the point that you thought they were going to be able to sustain this for some length of time. They didn't. Fortunately, they didn't need any more than that. But I guess credit to Wheeler, whether it was a major adjustment or a minor adjustment that he made. He took what could have been a disaster start and actually turned into a really impressive start. Not quality officially, but for him to end up going seven innings was pretty impressive under those circumstances. Very much so. I mean, Wheeler, 99 pitches, 64 strikes. You know, he's having a good season that the Nats got to him the way that they did was a real credit to the Nats. I mean, that was impressive. That was like an onslaught, what the Nats did in that first inning. But yeah, not much happening the rest of the game. The Nats for the game, nine hits, one walk, three for five with runners in scoring position. But of course, a good chunk of that coming, well, all of that coming in terms of the three hits with runners in scoring position in that bottom of the first inning. Joy Manessis on Sunday night, three for four with three singles. So Manessis off a bad game one in this series ends up doing well over the final two games of the series. Uh, Lane Thomas, who was impactful in all three games in this series, he went two for four with a couple of singles in this game. Another game for Lane Thomas as an at starting center fielder in this game. Boy, we've gone from rarely seeing that to now that being almost commonplace, you know, with Stone Garrett doing well, didn't do well on Sunday night, 0 for 3 with three strikeouts. But it felt for so much of the season, like the Nats were almost fearful of putting Lane in center field. Now there seems to be a real comfort with that. Part of it, I guess, is, hey, we want to get Stone's bat in the lineup. But part of it, too, is we have seen Lane demonstrate it feels like a better ability to play center field. And so, you know, you don't have to, like, hold your breath anymore with him in center. He's doing a pretty good job out there. Yeah, I don't view him as a liability at all out there. Now, is he as good as Cole or Victor Robles? No, probably not. But it hasn't been enough of a drop-off to say that you can't do that and that it's not worth the offensive upside 
of having Stone Garrett in the lineup. Although, you know, he was one Garrett. You watch the bats, three strikeouts. He looked like he couldn't see the ball that well tonight. It was really late, some awkward swings. And that was one of the reasons that I wondered if the sight lines or the lighting wasn't great for some of these guys or not what they're used to seeing, perhaps. But yeah, no, I, I think this is the alignment we're going to continue to see more often. And good for Lane for sort of establishing that, hey, he can do that. May not profile as a top-notch defensive center fielder, but he's worked at it to get better. We know the arm is great. He's thrown out runners left and right, and he made a really nice play going out back against the wall the other day. So I think there is more of a comfort level now for him that allows them to be comfortable putting him out there. We did see the uh, bottom half of the Nats lineup have issues on Sunday night. If you look at batters six through nine for the Nats, Stone Garrett, Jake Alou, Ildemaro Vargas, and Blake Rutherford, they went a combined 0 for 11. But the Nats did win this game, and a big reason why was Trevor Williams. Go figure, right? Trevor Williams really had been struggling. He came into this game in a bad way. Trevor Williams, since the beginning of June, had posted an ERA of 632. That's where things stood coming into this game on Sunday night. He's facing this fearsome Phillies lineup, a Phillies lineup that, of course, put up 12 runs in game two of this series, a Phillies lineup that is so good at hitting home runs and what has been a big problem for Trevor Williams this season, giving up the home run. And so, of course, what happened on Sunday night? Trevor Williams tossed six shutout innings. He was really good in terms of the run prevention. Gave up just two hits, a double and a single. He certainly wasn't overly dominant. I mean, he only had four strikeouts. He did issue three walks. Only 54 of his 94 pitches were strikes. So I don't want to like overstate what Williams did. But hey, given how this guy had been struggling, given who he was facing, six shutout innings from Trevor Williams on Sunday night. Really nice to see. That was huge. He needed this badly. The team needed this badly. The way that the bullpen had been used all week long said that they had to get innings from their starter in this one. If he had been knocked out early, it really would have been an ugly picture. It almost did turn out ugly. In the end, he wound up using four relievers at the end of the night. But to get six six innings at all, let alone six shutout innings, was phenomenal. He was locked in. Now, that first inning, a little shaky, two walks. He's at 29 pitches. You're thinking, oh boy, maybe this is going to be another short night. And he got out of that one and then was much more efficient, keeping the ball down, using uh, change-up, sinker, everything to get weak contact. And there really was not that much hard contact throughout the course of this game against him. Williams was pitching so well that you could even have made the case that you could have kept him in for another inning beyond that. And that's not really something he's done a lot uh, to go seven and, and top 100 pitches, but he was that good. And... You know, it's funny. He had actually been to Williamsport two other times as a member of the Pirates. He had not pitched previously, but because he had been here, he didn't feel like he was getting left out by not going to all the events during the day. He was here with them, but he actually walked around downtown himself. He said he was able to try to keep something of a normal routine, and maybe that helped him. He admitted some first inning jitters on the mound, but once he got over that, he was very much locked in. And I think a really important start for him you know, at least putting to rest any concerns about should they continue with him in the rotation? Should they stick with the six-man rotation? This was a big night for him and at a time when he really needed it. Hey, are you a law firm partner or an associate stuck on an underperforming franchise? Do what Nationals legend Max Scherzer did. Demand a trade. He left the New York Mets, right? And uh, ended up on a contender in the American League. There might be greener pastors and a lot more money at another law firm for you. 
and your team at another law firm, not to mention better management and better services to offer your clients. The law firm lateral partner market is still red hot, and Nats Chat sponsor Mason Kalfas is the best legal recruiter in Washington, D.C., or anywhere. And Mason wants to help you find a new and better home. Mason Kalfas, he is the Scott Boris of legal recruiters. Put him to work for you. Mason will sit down with you and understand your practice and career or financial goals. He will confidentially discuss your candidacy with law firms that are contenders, not 60 win teams. There is no CBA in the law firm world. Do not be stuck with a poverty franchise like poor Paul Skeens, okay? <laughs> Call Mason today, located in Washington, D.C. Mason also specializes in working with government lawyers from the DOJ, SEC, FTC, and FDA. He has placed partners at dozens of elite national law firms straight out of those partners' government positions. With the first Biden administration winding down, give Mason Kalfas a call to position yourself for a move to private practice today. You can reach Mason or any of his team of seven recruiters at 202-486-3535 or email Mason at mason at zenithlegal.com. That's 202-486-3535 or via email at mason at zenithlegal.com. Go Nats! The Nats will be contenders very soon and you can be a contender even sooner. Are you looking for tickets to an upcoming event? That's why you should download the GameTime app. Create an account and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. You get cheaper tickets and it helps the podcast a bit. Sounds like a smooth 643 double play. Again, create an account and redeem the code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Terms apply. Download GameTime today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Here's the set. 2-2 two, two pitch. Swung on. Hit in the air to deep right center field. Thomas going back, way back, looking up, and it is gone. Goodbye. A two-run homer for Jake Cave. Talked about whether the ball would carry. We hadn't seen it all night. And now it's a one-run game. The Nationals four, the Phillies three. Trevor Williams did a nice job. We cannot say the same about the Nats' bullpen. Well, the first half of the four relievers used on Sunday night did do a nice job, but the back half, not as much. So, yeah, we are starting to get back into this territory of wondering and pondering regarding this Nats' bullpen. Look, we know the deal. Davey Martinez has been aggressively using his pen. He has been using certain guys a lot. Some of this has been uh, just because he has had to do this, you know, like Robert Garcia has a rough outing. You have to bring in somebody else. Some of this is just Davey managing to win games, but the toll has had to be paid these last two games. We had that disastrous bullpen outing on Saturday in the 12-3 loss. Three Nats relievers and a position player, Ildemar Vargas, combining to allow 12 runs in three innings. And in this 4-3 win on Sunday night, four Nats relievers combined to allow three runs in three innings. Now, Jordan Weems did toss a perfect top of the seventh. Hunter Harvey tossed a scoreless top of the eighth. So they were perfectly fine. Mason Thompson, though, was an issue. So he is now back from the 15-day injured list. The Nats on Sunday afternoon announced that they had returned from rehab and reinstated Thompson from the 15-day IL. He had been on that since August 5th, retroactive to August 2nd with a left knee contusion. Thompson on Sunday night officially was charged with two runs in two-thirds of an inning. He in the top of the ninth faced four batters, but got just two outs. Now, he wasn't necessarily getting smacked all around the ballpark, okay? But 
He gave up a couple of hits. He gave up a one-out single by Bryson Stott into center field and gave up a two-out full count RBI single by Brandon Marsh up the middle to cut the Nats' lead to 4-1, despite Marsh having been down in the count at 1.02. Then Davey Martinez brought Kyle Finnegan into the game. And that right there, to me, was a loss of sorts because you were so hoping to avoid having to go to Finnegan in this game. It would have been lovely to have Mason Thompson close out a game in which you went into the ninth inning with a four-run lead, not to beat. Kyle Finnegan in this game was pitching for a fourth time in five days. He came into the game, top of the ninth, runner on first, two outs, Nats holding a 4-1 lead. He, to the first batter he faced, gave up a homer, gave up a two-out, two-run homer by Jake Cave to right field to cut the Nats' lead to 4-3, despite Cave having been down at 1.12. The homer measured at 412 feet per stat cast. So now you're saying to yourself, oh boy, is this going to be a gut-wrenching Nats loss, a game in which the team blows a 4-0 ninth-inning lead? Not to be. Thankfully, Finnegan struck out JT Realmuto swinging on four pitches to end the game. But uh, Mark, this became too close for comfort. Yeah, it did. Let's talk through the moves here. Once you got six from Trevor Williams, I thought it set up well. You had Weems for the seventh and Hunter Harvey for the eighth. And then I just assumed that meant he would go to Finnegan to start the ninth. Now, it's that gray area, four-run lead. Not officially a save situation, but I've heard Davey even say at times he still thinks of four runs as a save situation because he understands how quickly things can change and how quickly you end up having to get your closer up if he doesn't start the inning. Now, where I'm sitting, I can't see who's warming up in the bullpen, so I didn't know. When I see Mason Thompson come out to take the mound, I thought, oh, okay, maybe Finnegan isn't actually available tonight. Yes, he had the previous day off, but he had pitched three in a row prior to that. Maybe he actually needed two in a row off. It's not a perfect scenario where you're taking Thompson just activated off the IL. I think in a perfect world, they wouldn't have activated him yet. But after Corey Abbott's disastrous appearance the previous day, they needed to make a move. Thompson was the most ready to step in and give them an inning that they needed in this game. But you would have preferred it not have to be the ninth inning of a game they were leading like that. I'm thinking to myself, you put Thompson out there, you're one batter away from having to warm up Finnegan anyways. So if he was available, which it turns out he was, I think I would have just had him start the inning. I get it. You're trying to get through the night. You got an off day on Monday. You can hope, hey, we can do this without having to get Kyle Finnegan in the game again. But the margin for error was so slim. I felt like Thompson would have had to have a one, two, three inning for Finnegan to not even have to warm up that it was almost inevitable that it was going to happen. The home run frustrating. Is it worn down? Something else going on? Who knows? Not ideal. But to his credit, locked it down after that, took care of business, and now they can all have a very well-deserved Monday off before they face the Yankees on Tuesday. And I mean, it is amazing when you're winning games and playing close games every day, which is what they're doing all of a sudden, it's hard to lay off your top relievers. You're always finding yourself in these situations where you want and need to use these guys. So I, I sympathize with Davey. It's hard to sit any of these guys you kind of feel like you have to use them when you have a chance to win a game. Yeah, what really hurt them was that Robert Garcia outing against the Red Sox because that really created this domino effect. I mean, you're up 9-1. You should in no way have to use Harvey and Finnegan. And Davey Martinez having to do that has set off this chain reaction because like, basically every game since then has been a game in which you have wanted to use Harvey and Finnegan and it hasn't worked out or you haven't been able to use them or others have struggled or you've had to overuse other people. And so, you know, you get put into this predicament to where like, yes, 
in a vacuum, you rather have Kyle Finnegan pitch than you would have Mason Thompson pitch, especially with Mason coming off the 15-day IL. But it's not necessarily Kyle Finnegan. It is a, in theory, or potentially, a diminished version of Kyle Finnegan pitching for a fourth time in five days. So that has to enter into the calculus. You're not using normal, quote-unquote, Kyle Finnegan on Sunday night. You're using pitching for a fourth time in five days Kyle Finnegan on Sunday night. And that's what is so tricky. Like, I can't kill Finnegan for giving up that homer, but it's like, you put a guy in that position pitching for a fourth time in five days, what do you think is going to happen? Like, you're setting him up to give up a homer or to do something bad. And Finnegan is good, but he's not so good to where you can keep putting him out there and expect excellence. Like, he's going to give stuff up. So it is tough. I mean, this has been a thing for a while. Others not named Kyle Finnegan and Hunter Harvey have to emerge, have to be better, have to be able to last longer. You know, I I wonder too, Davey does not like using relievers for more than one inning at a time. I wonder if he needs to relax that a little bit and start becoming a little more open to having guys work more than an inning because, you know, that might help this situation too. I, I know it's not ideal, but it's something that I think you have to be open to. Yeah, I remember earlier in the year, he did that with Mason Thompson to some success, and then Thompson started to get out of whack, and he struggled for a long time. I wonder, once he proves that he's healthy again, if they would think about doing that. Jordan Weems is the guy you would think could go two innings if needed. Harvey and Finnegan, you're not going to do that with. But the others, yeah, I mean, you can see that. But again, I think this points to this six-man rotation and one fewer reliever, and it does leave you in a spot where you have fewer options to choose from. And if you're going to use three or four or more relievers on a given day, they're going to get overused. It's, it's hard to avoid that. I thought the unintentionally funny line from Rob Thompson, the Phillies manager after the game, he was asked about the Nationals. He was very complimentary of them and the progress they've made. He said, they've got some really good arms in that bullpen. I hope they don't get hurt. You know, like he knows it. He sees what everybody else is seeing. And you hope that all this usage of them doesn't end up in injuries. So we have an interesting roster situation with the Nats on Sunday and then after this game on Sunday night. So this is kind of a weird deal. The Nats were allowed to have a 27th player for this Little League Classic on Sunday night. Normally, you're only allowed that for a doubleheader day. For whatever reason, you were allowed to have that for this Little League Classic. The 27th player ended up being Carter Keeboom. But then after the game, the Nats announced that they had optioned infielder Jeter Downs to AAA Rochester. So does that mean that Carter Keeboom is sticking around with the major league team for now? Yes, it does. And a couple things here. One, yeah, they're allotted that extra player for this game. I I didn't get a real clear answer from anyone on why that is true. We think it may have something to do with because of the extra travel that's associated with this game. It's kind of a concession to the players to say, okay, you can have another guy who gets paid big league money for a day, so you're allowed to do that. But it had to be a position player. It could not be a pitcher. So I thought that was interesting. So Keeboom already on the 40-man roster, finally healthy, post-Tommy John surgery, post-oblique injury that really hurt him this year. And if you looked at him, since finally healthy again at AAA, was hitting pretty well there. So I think when they announced that he was the guide for this game, my first thought was they're not just calling him up for the day. That seems to signal they're going to keep him up here. And I think they're going to get a look at him the rest of the way. Ildemaro Vargas has basically played third base every day since the Jamer Candelario trade. He does a lot of good things for them. We've talked about that. We also have talked about he's not the future. I don't know if Carter Keeping is the future. I don't know if anybody in the organization believes that he might still be the future, especially with Brady House 
at double A and not that far away. But you've got, what, six weeks to go this season. You might as well throw him out there a little bit, find out once and for all, could he still make it here? Or is this his last chance? Not going to happen. And they move on in the offseason. So I think not only is he going to stay up here, I think he's going to get some chances to play. And I don't fault them for doing that. I don't have a whole lot of reason to believe that it's going to be different this time around. I think we've seen a pretty good amount of him over the years. I did think it was interesting. Carter himself was telling us that he really has a different mindset right now. He said he's not putting any pressure on himself. He likes coming up to a team that is not full of all the veterans that were here when he first came up and he was the young guy, the next super prospect. He's not that guy anymore. He's coming to a team with a lot of players who are even younger than him. And he's just going to enjoy this make the most of it, and whatever happens, he'll be content with it. He's not going to feel like he has to now prove himself the way that he probably did for the last several years. Well, we know that Jeter Downs had barely been playing. So, you know, him being optioned, I think, makes sense. If you're not going to play the guy, you might as well option him down and bring up someone who you are willing to play. Why then, though, was Vargas the starting third baseman on Sunday night? I mean, Keeboom did not play in the game. Why didn't they just start Keeboom? I think Davey probably didn't want to throw him to the fire right like that in a nationally televised game in a strange situation and maybe also a little bit of rewarding for Vargas, who's done a lot for them and a chance to play the nationally televised game. I'll be curious. I mean, we didn't get to ask for sure about the future for Keeboom because they didn't announce that that move was made until the end of the night when we'd already interviewed Davey. So he kind of hinted at it pregame that made me think maybe there was a plan to do something here, but I don't really know how much we're going to see him. I don't know if it's every day, every other day, twice a week. I'm not sure, but I don't think they bring him back up here to sit on the bench the way Jeter Downs did. I think they have him here to at least get some playing time. Yeah, and I think that makes total sense. I think that actually is the right way to go. And I just hope that we see a lot of Carter Keyboom down the stretch here and that, you know, he uh, is out there more or less every day as an ad starting third baseman. And I hope he does well. I mean, You know, it has been quite the saga. It has been a very disappointing major league career for Carter Keeboom, but who knows? Uh, You might as well give the guy another look and, you know, see what you might have in him down the stretch of this season. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Well, the heat, the humidity, the sky-high temperatures, uh, they all are here. And all of this is forcing your air conditioning into overdrive, leading to ultra-high energy bills. The solution, new windows from the folks at Window Nation. And Window Nation right now is offering a sensational deal to listeners of the Nat Chat podcast. Right now, no money down, no payments, and no interest for two years, plus 50% off all styles of windows. And if you call this week, you get an extra 10% off. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Again, no money down, no payments, no interest for two years, plus 50% off all styles of windows. And if you call this week, you get an extra 10% off your order. 866-90NATION or windownation.com. If you've been thinking about getting new windows, now is the time. 866-90NATION or windownation.com. That's 866-90NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. 
Hey guys, Al Galdi here to tell you about Factor, which is America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. I have been eating Factor meals. They are outstanding. They can help you fuel up fast with flavorful and nutritious ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track reaching your goals. We, of course, are in the thick of summer, but the school year isn't far away. Everyone's busy. You want to make sure that you're eating well. With Factor, you can skip that extra trip to the grocery store and also skip the chopping, the prepping, and the cleaning up too while still getting the flavor and the nutrition that you need. Factors Fresh, never frozen meals are ready in just two minutes. All you have to do is heat up the meal and enjoy the meal and then get back to doing whatever it is that you need to be doing. Here's what you do. Go to factormeals.com slash natschat50 and use the code natschat50. You do that, you get 50 percent off. Yeah, 50% off. Go to factormeals.com slash natschat50 and use that promo code natschat50 for 50% off. Factormeals.com slash natschat50 and use that promo code natschat50 for 50% off. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. On a 3-1 pitch, Dylan Cruz rips a base hit to right center field, and the Freddies are pouring it out in the first. Two more in, two more ribbies for Cruz. It is 7-0 Fredericksburg. All right, well, you know, bigger picture. I mean, there was nothing bigger on Sunday than this Dylan Cruz news. Uh, Sunday evening, the reports coming out that the Nats are promoting outfielder Dylan Cruz from low A Fredericksburg to double A Harrisburg. They are having him skip High A Wilmington. Dylan Cruz, of course, number two overall pick in the 2023 MLB draft. He, per MLB pipeline, is the number four prospect in baseball. He, in his brief playing time for the low A Fredericksburg Nationals, was outstanding. 14 games, 71 plate appearances, an OPS of 1,068. He, over the 14 games, hit five home runs. The guy is looking every bit like the franchise outfielder he was drafted to be. He pretty clearly now is tracking toward playing at the major league level for the Nats next season. I mean, at this point, you know, going from low A to double A now, it would be surprising if he wasn't playing for the Nats at the major league level next season. Would you agree with that? Yeah, 100%. I think I remember saying to you when he started at Fredericksburg, I was curious to see when the next promotion would be and would he make it to double A before season's end? And I thought that would tell us a lot about their intentions. And so the fact that they did it right away that quickly, skipping high A, says to me that they believe this guy's very close to big league ready. Now, you know, it's all based on his performance. We'll see how he does. Maybe he's going to struggle a little bit. Who knows? Maybe he won't. But I would think conservatively, if he finishes out the year at double A, then you go into next spring, he's a big league camp, maybe with an outside shot of making the roster. Maybe they try to do the Bryce Harper thing and say, well, we want you to have a little bit of experience at AAA. And so you start the year at Rochester, and then three weeks later, all of a sudden, he's in the big leagues. And then in theory, they buy an extra year of service time. Although that's changed that rule. If you win rookie of the year, you get the full year of service time. So that's a little incentive in theory for teams to put top prospects on the opening day roster. Regardless, I think this says a whole lot about how far they believe he already is advanced and how close to big league ready he is. 
Yeah, you have to play the service time game, even with the new rule. I think the rule is, I think it's top three voting for rookie of the year. Yeah. And I, I think it might even be like, if you don't win rookie of the year, but maybe if you're like in the MVP voting or something like that, I think you get uh, the benefit of that. But yeah, I, I mean, you have to play that game, whether, you know, Scott Boris is happy about that or not. Like, sorry, like the rules are what they are. Here's what I wonder, though. If the Nats were contending, do you think they'd call Dylan Cruz up to the majors now? We just saw the Angels do this with the guy who they took, called him up to the majors. Service time considerations aside, do you think Dylan Cruz right now could hit major league pitching? It feels like he potentially could. This is, of course, totally a hypothetical, but if the Nats were really good and yet somehow had Dylan Cruz in the organization, do you think they would summon him to the major league level now? I think they would at least want to see what he did at double A first, just to be sure of that. But it could be a Juan Soto situation where a week to 10 days later, he's tearing it up and say, okay, let's do it. Let's make the move. Let's call him up. I'm sure there are people in the organization that feel like he's as advanced as anybody is ever going to be at his experience level. And that what he did at LSU is probably comparable to at least a ball, if not even double A in some ways. But You want to make sure the guy actually earns it because the last thing you want to do is call up somebody like that, have them really struggle. And now you have to decide, are we going to wait it out or are we going to send him down, which is never good for anyone. So while I think they would be open minded to it, if the situation was right, I think they would want him to at least show a little bit of success at double A before making that move. I think they're willing and we've seen them call up a guy straight from double A to the big leagues. I don't think they feel like triple A is necessary in that scenario. But I do think they would want him to at least have some success in double A first. Well, the man with the initials DC is getting awfully close to playing in DC. And uh, it seems as if it'll be happening sooner rather than later. So no game for the Nats on Monday. Next up for them, a nine game road trip beginning with a three game series at the New York Yankees who have lost eight consecutive games. The Yankees over the weekend got swept at home in three games against the Boston Red Sox. Game one, Tuesday night, 7.05, Josiah Gray will be the Nats starting pitcher. Game two, Wednesday night at 7.05, Mackenzie Gore will be the Nats starting pitcher. And game three, uh, Thursday afternoon at 1.05, Patrick Corbin will be the Nats starting pitcher. Josiah Gray has had a really difficult month of August. You know, I, I don't know what to make of this outing because, yes, the Yankees are not playing well right now and they are not having the season that we're used to the Yankees having. At the same time, they are the Yankees. They do have some really good hitters and you are playing at Yankee Stadium. You know, they talk about like the ghosts of Yankee Stadium. Josiah Gray, I don't know that this is ideal for him, but I do know that like Trevor Williams on Sunday night, Josiah Gray really does need to have a good outing and hopefully he has one on Tuesday night. Yeah, he better hope that Mystique and Aura don't make an appearance on Tuesday at Yankee Stadium. And remember, he's a New Yorker himself. So I think it's going to be a big deal for him, having grown up not that far from there, to be pitching there. I do think it's a big start for him. Yes, I also think the Yankees on paper look imposing and in reality have not been anything close to that, especially offensively. It's shocking to everybody in baseball how bad they have been offensively. But I mean, they are way out of it right now, well under 500. And We'll see how they respond to that. I don't you know, follow them daily, so I don't really know. But I mean, I think there's got to be concern in New York that they're kind of all but given up on this. And that would be a fascinating scenario, one that the New York Yankees have not been in in a very long time. Josiah was front and center all day in Williamsport. He enjoyed it. He was 
an ambassador for them, spent lots of time with the kids, was on TV on the ESPN broadcast, did every interview, signed every autograph. He really enjoyed it. And I think there's some attention on him now. People know who he is. I think it's important for him, after being an all-star in the first half of the season, to show that that wasn't just a great first half, that he can return to something like that and put together a good season at the end. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the show, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the Nats Chat Podcast, we'd love to have you. Email Tim Shover, see what we can do for you. NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on our website as well, NatsChatPodcast.com, at which you can buy a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt. All Nationals radio highlights are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat Podcast music. Visit TimNewmark.com. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. The 0-2 to Godman is lined to center. Cruz comes on, dives, and takes away a base hit. What can't he do? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.